Ladies and gentlemen, make yourselves comfortable. I'm Kent Garrison. I am Brian Gill. And I'm Richard Barden. And this is Mad. Uh, about movies. You sound insane. You realize that? Brian, what is the movie of the week this week? This week we're going to be talking about Kurt Cobain, Montage of Heck. Before we talk about the movie of the week, guys, we have a few announcements to make regarding social media. Yes. Brian, if you could make those announcements. Sure. So uh, we we entered the age of what would you say, two thousand five, two thousand six. We we finally <laughs> caught up with uh, with the times. We did. <laughs> we, we, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You can read all of our thoughts on our open diaries on Zynga. Uh, yeah. So we we finally have an official Mad About Movies Twitter and a Mad About Movies Facebook page uh, because I don't know. I don't know why why we took so long to do it. I just think maybe we weren't. Uh, we didn't think Facebook was super relevant, but then every every marketer that we talked to says, "You guys, you've got to have a Facebook page. Got to got to have a Twitter feed." Yeah. So, uh, so we we have those now. Uh, as of uh, as of yeah, so the last we will still engage. Yeah, yeah, you can engage us on our personal Twitters, and that's kind of what we've been directing everything to the last few years doing this. Um, but we want to start a try. We want to try to start getting a count on. Uh, people that follow the show on as many platforms as we can. And we want to engage and inform the best we can. So so on the Twitter, you look for lots of – make sure you follow us on Twitter. The more amount of followers, the better it is for us. So if you listen to the show, take two seconds and follow us on Twitter yep. uh, because you'll get movie – you'll get updates on the show. You'll get movie news. You'll get some funny stuff. And if you want to tweet at us specifically, that's still fine. We will answer those and all that. On the Facebook side, please take two seconds if you have a Facebook and like the Facebook page, we want to get as many likes as we can. Because once again, we are trying to explore different revenue streams with this podcast um, so that it will pay for itself and we no longer have to pay for it. Uh, as you've noticed by our donation button the last few months on here, and you guys have been more than generous and everything. But we'd like to get any type of financial support we can do uh, with this. And so uh, you know, a means of doing that, the first thing any of these companies look at is your, your likes on Facebook and your Twitter followers. So we decided to consolidate everything into two pages, a Twitter and a Facebook. So please take two seconds, like it. We, I promise you we won't burden you with – we won't clog yeah. either of your feeds up. But there will be just enough on there. And for those of you that email us all the time and say, you know, when's the next episode, now you'll, you, you'll have an easy way of finding that out. So uh, please – Please take two seconds and like our Facebook and follow us on Twitter. It would be – it's all we ask of you. It would be a great help. Totally. And if, and if we're really annoying to you, just like us and then mute us. That's fine. We're, we're fine with that. Yeah, we just need to fine. like. We don't care. That's all that matters. Yeah. Yeah. My girlfriend did that to me years ago. So <laughs> In real life and on social media. It's funny. Yeah. I'm muted at all times. <laughs> we'll, we'll try and put some exclusive content on there as well. Uh, sure. I know – uh, sometimes people wonder, well, I wonder what their next podcast is going to be so I can see the movie this coming weekend. Uh, we'll try to, as soon as we know, we'll try to put that out on the, on those, those social media channels. And as soon as the episode's released, we'll, we'll tweet it out on our official channel and, and put it on Facebook. So you don't have to constantly update your podcast app or iTunes or however you listen to our show. Uh, you'll get an immediate notification uh, regarding that. So a little bit of exclusive content will go on there as well. Some upcoming guests we're going to spoil on there and we're going to, going to reach out to some, to some awesome people, including the listeners on there. So 
It's sure. you're not cool, really. You're not a part of this until uh, <laughs> until you've liked us on social media. That's, That's it's right. really you're not an official listener until uh, we've interacted on social media. So <laughs> so get on that. Uh, I should give away the handle. How about that? So they can actually yeah, do it. It's a great it's, idea. On Twitter, it's at. M-A-M underscore podcast for Mad right. About Movies. That's what it stands yeah, and, for. And that's because somebody had, had already taken M-A-M podcast. So somebody stole our identity already. But, you know, that's fine. How so, dare they? Screw you. <laughs> and on Facebook, on Facebook, it's facebook.com slash Mad About Movies podcast. Or you can just search us uh, in the Facebook search con- uh, uh, bar. But, yeah, and on, on the Facebook piece, make sure, you know, you'll be able to engage with each other. If you can find other people, maybe in your neighborhood that listen to our show, we know we have a lot of listeners. We hear from you guys constantly, and uh, we have some metrics that iTunes gives you, and that's great. But the more metrics and the more we can kind of hammer this stuff down, uh, the better it will be for this show. So so please take some time, like us, follow us, and then uh, and then we're going to build just huge mansions made out of solid gold. <laughs> I already pre-ordered mine, so it's pretty yeah, important that you guys like our stuff it's on imperative, social media. Really. Yeah, but yeah, you can res- you will interact with you on there, uh, just like we have on Twitter and email for the last several years. We'll interact on the Facebook and on the official Twitter, and uh, you can interact with each other, like I said. So you may find a guy that lives two streets down and find out that he lives, listens to Mad About Movies, and uh, you can fall madly, madly in love with each other. So... Uh, see what I did there? Madly. In, uh, ah, I gotcha. Yeah. I <laughs> so gotcha. I get those big bucks, boys. But uh, yeah, so do that and uh, we will be monitoring it. And if you don't do it, uh, if we don't have a thousand uh, li- <laughs> likes and Twitter followers by the end of next week, we will burn you to go to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> That's no lie. We will. So sorry, yeah. Utica. <laughs> we uh, we, we want to say thanks again for the people who have been reaching out and uh, I've just been overwhelmed again this past week with the amount of awesome people we have uh, reaching out to us via email um, and uh, via the iTunes reviews and things like that and donations and such. We'll gather all those up within the next week or two and, uh, and shout you out. If we promise you a shout out, I promise it's coming. We don't want to, we don't want to do that every single week. Right. Uh, because we don't want this to be shout outs for 40 minutes and then 20 minutes of review. <laughs> that's no fun to listen to. I totally that's, realize that's that. That's our spinoff podcast, Mad yeah. About Movies Shout Outs. Yes. Podcast. And uh, it's already got more subscribers than this one, which is a little <laughs> weird. Just a little weird. <laughs> but uh, I'll take what I can get. That would be a great like meta piece of, of art to just make a pat, a podcast <laughs> where you just read people's names and see how uh, people love to hear their own names in a public forum. Yeah, that's they right. do. I would I would subscribe. You'd probably get a lot of subscribers. Uh, I, I hope I would hope so. And once again, we do have that donation button. If you haven't donated, uh, fifty cents, a dollar, twenty dollars, three hundred dollars, however much you want to donate, does go a long way. Thirty, and, uh, and that's going to help. Million. That's going to help us actually. We're we're uh, putting together a better road kit than we've had. Yeah. Uh, so we can go out. We can come to your hometown or something like that. Do a podcast. And uh, we're we're taking this show on the road, and uh, we've been able to do that with the Alamo Draft House. But a lot of that uh, equipment is uh, borrowed equipment and things like that. We're getting uh, we're getting you know a nice tablecloth, so some T-shirts to sell, uh, you know things that make us look professional. Uh, right. I, I know we sound professional, and we give the most professional <laughs> podcast movie reviews. 
Uh, but we don't, we, we show up in our t shirt and flip flops, and people are like, who are these guys? You know, so. Uh, you guys always anything. look better than I do. Let's be fair. Like, I, I'm always in some sort of a Star Wars t shirt and car well, shirts, but I you guys always look sweatpants. way better than me. I wore sweatpants last time. Yeah, but so they were stylish sweatpants. Like, they were straight out of, like, the Chandler Parsons book of, uh, of they fashion. They were. So. They were. They were my, my <laughs> C par. I, uh, it was great because we did, I did the, um, when I was wearing the sweatpants, I did the first half of the podcast decently, and then right when we got to the movie review, movie review, I just bailed. Didn't. <laughs> yep. Right when it mattered. <laughs> nice that, Chandler Parsons a, reference there. Yeah, that's a Dallas Mavericks Chandler Parsons <laughs> reference for those of you following along at home. Yeah, that just made that us thirty-seven percent more popular with women. So that's that's good. That's fun. <laughs> uh, Chandler Parsons, by the way, need to get him on the show. We That'd do. Be, you should. Good. Should. We need to get Dirk Nowitzki on the show to talk about his documentary. How about uh, that? Would be the best. I've got Dirk right here. You want to talk to him real quick? He's <laughs> sure. Oh, he's here? Yeah. You oh, want to bring him over? Yeah, bring him on. All right. He's in watching TV with Sarah. Okay. Dirk? Dirk? Okay. Yeah, here you go, buddy. Here he is. Okay. Uh, hey, guys. How's it going? Dirk. Dirk. It, we were just talking about you. We want oh, to yeah. have you on the show and talk about your documentary that's coming out this summer about your life. Uh, yeah, what would you think about that? Movie's, movie's good. You know, movie's pretty good. Uh, got some good footage on there, you know. And, uh, going around uh, touring the movie a little bit and, and having a good time with it. Obviously, obviously, it's uh, pretty weird to, to have a movie about you, but uh, it's some great guys, and it's great guys like Nashi. Finley, J Kid, you know that whole group of guys, and you know, obviously it's been a, a crazy career, but you know it's a good little capper on to put a little movie together, and been over in Germany showing it around. Everyone seems to be really into it, so obviously that's pretty cool, and and just really enjoying the off season. Well, we're looking forward to having you on, uh, Dirk, and we'll see you at the after party tonight at Old South Pancake House. We know you love those yeah, German pancakes. Sure yeah, stop by for the German pancakes. Maybe get a Dutch baby if you're not that hungry or something. Yep. But uh, Old South Pancake House is fantastic. So uh, I'm going to give the mic back to Richard. But, uh, you know, shout out to you guys. And obviously, obviously you do a great show. So, um, yeah. So, all right. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Dirk. Where's Groob's at? Oh, Dirk. I don't know. Shut it down. Let's go home. <laughs> wow, so nice of him to just, just yeah. hop on like I that. I love that, man. Like, so convenient hero. that he was there with you. Yeah, he's yeah. a great guy. Great guy. Yeah. One more thing we had to talk about before montage of heck. We've just got an, a, an email from a lovely listener named Connor Finnerty. <laughs> I just answered it. Yeah, I want you to. I want to answer it on the show. And Connor, I don't feel comfortable. I don't, should I answer it on the show or should I just answer it in email? I think we should maybe answer it on the show since Connor's such a loyal <laughs> and great listener. <laughs> Connor comes to us from Clifton Park, New York. He goes to Siena University, by, tell by his email address. And Connor says, or asks, I should say, why does Richard hate Chris Kattan? <laughs> Did you meet Chris Kattan personally, or is it just because he's not a great SNL cast member? Yeah. So, Richard, really you funny have the floor. Question. When was the last time that we brought up Chris <laughs> Kattan on the well show? Well, back. Okay. Uh, well, I think our Mr. Beepers episode was like three weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. But, Beepers, whatever the hell. Yeah, um, the entire episode on the Mango character. Yeah. The arc. So when I was in, I'll answer this, and I and uh, I, I I should preface this, and I said in the email just now, um, I do hold. I'm very Irish, 
Uh, I always say my mom's name was uh, Marine Kelly Ann O'Donnell. That's how Irish I am. So I do hold a grudge. I'm angry. I have a lot of anger flying through me at all times, red-faced anger. But uh, so when I was in college, I was an intern at – I was probably the first ever podcast intern. I was an intern on the Adam Carolla show um, in, it, in its early – in its infancy, which has now become a, a, a titan in the industry and a moneymaker. But at the time was, was just kind of a, a vanity project while he waited out his uh, radio contract because he was, he was paid to stay away or whatever. So I was, I was interning on the show. I was in college, and my role was guest research. So what I would do is go through um, anyone that was going to be a guest on the show, their personal website first, um, and then any other trivia, trivia I could pull from IMDb. I uh, stayed away from Wikipedia because that's, that's tough. Even IMDb is a little iffy, but, but Wikipedia. But most things I would pull from there, directly from their website, and it would say things like, you know, uh, Chris Kattan was born, you know, wherever he was born. He's 33. He, his first f- film was X. His, you know, a couple interesting facts about maybe his parents did something. I don't know. And then Adam would have that piece of paper with him while he interviewed them. And Adam is great at interviewing kind of off the top of his head. He's very funny and spontaneous and all of that. Um, but he liked to have just a couple facts that if things got awkward, he could glance down and be like, oh, yeah, you're from, you know, Oak Park, Illinois. Let's talk about that, right? So I did this hundreds and hundreds of times for people, and sometimes I would call them directly too. If I had a number, I would call their manager um, or call them directly, which was always weird. Like you'd think it would be a manager, and then like some celebrity would answer, and I would just be like, "Were you actually born in Oak Park, Illinois?" <laughs> um, anyway, so they uh, so Chris Kattan came on and. I, I did the sheet and I and his happened to be one where his website had a lot of information so I didn't have to go to any other source so I just copied and pasted these bullets from his website into essentially a Word document, blasted that over and uh, so Adam's interviewing and he brings up something and like Chris Kattan, I, I think he was doing a comedy bit or something. I don't know if he was actually angry or what but there was some fact that was wrong on there and he just decided like – and he was like, no, that's not true. Where do you get your information? And Adam was like, well, my intern – my intern gets it for me and he's like, well, your intern's an idiot. You know, that's completely false. Um, yeah, maybe you should hire someone with half a brain. But, but I had copied <laughs> and pasted it from chriscatan.com. Yeah. And so Adam actually called me and he was like, hey, just so you know, because um, the episode posted the next day, like we talk about you and it's not necessarily friendly. I want you to know I'm not angry with you. I understand mistakes happen. And I was like, well, I copied and pasted off his website. He was like, Oh God, of course you did. Okay. Well, just, just so you know, he's a jerk. Kent. Yeah. And, uh, he's a jerk and don't worry about it and all that. So, um, yeah. So that's, that's so I, and I hold the grudge and hate Chris Kattan forever. Cause he sold me out. I was like making, you know, $4 an hour or whatever the heck I was making to be an intern on a podcast. And, uh, and he like went after me. So you know what? I, I wish him nothing but the worst. Yeah, but the the uh, the tables have turned because now Chris Kattan is our intern, and we pay him nothing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The <laughs> axis, the y and the x axis always cross, my friend. I wow. love that story. That was I, much I more. You tell that story in a long time, and uh, and I'm glad that that's now out there in podcast <laughs> form, so the world can know. What a douche Chris Kattan is. That's a much more personal response than I had anticipated. Yeah, yeah. Was, our our like, listener that really didn't like his comedic no stylings. idea it was going to be like that. Yeah. 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 
So, it's my only celebrity I have personal experience with not liking. <laughs> Everyone else, the best. I, one, I hate Chris Arnold, so that yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's a good one. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't really have too many other run-ins. Sure. One time I was shelving a book and I stood up and Gary Shandling was there, so that was a big one for me. I remember but, that. Uh, that's about it. So that's so Chris Kantan can can eat it. So if he if he comes to Siena, you know, boo him without mercy. So you're saying I should revoke the invitation that I sent out to his publicist to come on Mad About Movies? No, because you asked him to come in character. Yeah. Right. As the other Roxbury guy. Right. So I think that's fine. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> I I was hoping <laughs> No, sorry, I'm not gonna say it. <laughs> Is it appropriate? Okay, guys. Well, speaking of Chris Catan, <laughs> let's talk Kurt Cobain montage of heck. We're going to go uh, straight into spoiler territory here. Uh, there's not much with documentaries you can say without spoiling it, because these right. are, in fact, biographical right. documentaries. Spoiler these alert. Are, these are scientific facts. Spoiler right. alert. Kurt Cobain is no longer with us. <laughs> he uh, he passed uh, back in the 90s. He's Sorry. a favorite. Oh, really? Okay. Oh. If you didn't already get that uh, information, uh, sorry to break it to you. But... Um, so, so no no spoiler alerts tonight. Please see this documentary. Uh, it's on HBO Go, HBO Now. If you don't have HBO, you can sign up for a thirty day free trial and and watch the documentary and and uh, watch the Jinx and Going Clear and all the HBO stuff we've talked about in the past few months. And uh, and do that all for free and and get your podcasting listening in as well. So, uh, first thing that that stuck out to me, guys, was just. Uh, that this was, in fact, the authorized documentary of Kurt Cobain. Yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, I think that sort of made all the difference here. Absolutely. With, uh, because, you know, there have been – excuse me, I had to burp. There have been documentaries made about Kurt in the past, and I'm sure there have been Nirvana documentaries made in the past. Uh, there's one called Courtney and Kurt, I think, which was about uh, Kurt and Courtney Love's relationship. Uh, there is there was a couple others. Uh, I can't put my name. I can't put uh, my finger on the name at this, this point in time. But I'd seen one or two other Kurt Cobain documentaries. This is by far the best. Uh, yeah. The execution here is fantastic, and uh, you can tell they actually took their time to research uh, this to to talk to people that actually were close to Kurt. That you know, Kurt's uh, family, Kurt's ex girlfriends, Kurt's mm-hmm. bandmates. And uh, and really got the truth here, and and that stuck out to me. It didn't feel fake. It didn't feel uh, made up at all. You know, it felt uh, the mo- like the most authentic look at Kurt Cobain that we've had on film thus far. Not to and, mention tons of of childhood footage. Oh yeah, yeah. Yes. It's uh, Terrence were like Terrence Malick. They shot like hours and hours and hours. <laughs> It's actually pretty incredible. You know, I, that's that's one of the thoughts that I had while I was watching this was. I can't believe Kurt was even filming this. Like, why would, you know, nowadays we have phones literally in our pockets. I mean, we have, nowadays we have cameras literally in our pockets all the time, and we don't film as much as he filmed himself back then. So, yeah, he had a pretty active Snapchat, I'm pretty sure. (laughs) Very NSFW, but uh, still (laughs) worth it nonetheless. We, 
So yeah, you're right, Richard. They're, his parents were really actually proactive in in capturing a lot of his early days, which I had never seen any any footage of Kurt that wasn't uh, in while he was in Nirvana, and uh, or any footage that didn't have to do with Nirvana. You know, like backstage footage. You know, where they weren't on tour or or mm-hmm. live concerts or what have you. So that was interesting in itself, just being able to see him behind the scenes while he wasn't on stage and he wasn't in the uh, "I'm Kurt from Nirvana" persona. Right. So that was that was extremely interesting as well. But the execution uh, of this documentary was was fantastic, and and not only in the fact that we we get told a story about about Kurt, the truth about Kurt, but uh, the production value was just was phenomenal, and uh, and it really blew my mind. Uh, the lengths that they went to to really uh, do something original here. The director, writer, Brett Morgan, uh, you know, hats off to him, especially uh, the animation. I'm not sure the animation yeah. studio that that uh, that took this on. I'm going to have to research that and find the name of the animation studio. But, I mean, what they did with animation, I just didn't – I didn't anticipate, and it was just – such a cool way to to go about this and to tell uh, a lot of the f- past of Kurt. You know, uh, obviously most of this was told in flashbacks and things like that. And uh, and I I just never anticipated, let alone animation, but for the to be to look like it did and to and to be an animation style that I never really see anymore is uh, was very surprising and and uh, made me happy. So mm-hmm. my initial impressions of this was. A great look at his life. Well, we'll talk more about Kurtz. Uh, you know, we'll talk more about uh, what this documentary means and what this reveals. But uh, I mean, this gets a, an early A plus in my book. Uh, I've, I've always been interested in Nirvana and been a big fan of their music for forever. Uh, you know, "Come as You Are" was you know the second song I ever learned on guitar. You know, the first one being "Purple Haze" by Hendrix, and so. <laughs> Uh, Hendrix and and Kurt Cobain and Nirvana were probably the two most, uh, I guess, early musical influences on just me learning to play music and you know music that I uh, when I got a guitar when I was in you know elementary school it's like what are the, what do I want to learn okay sure. I want to learn Come as You Are I want to learn Nirvana you know it just it just something about their music drew me to it uh, at an early age and, and made me want to I wanted to be in Nirvana you know it, it's like it's a really weird feeling you know a lot of you know our parents wanted to be zeppelin or the beatles and uh you know my sister uh wanted to be in the spice girls you know there's always sure. there's always like a a group that people wanted to be in but uh I, you know when i was younger uh kurt died when i was really young i think i was like seven when he died or seven or eight yeah and uh and so i always knew about about Nirvana and about Kurt, but I didn't, it didn't really occur to me what had happened with him or uh, what his music meant or, or the significance of it now, especially Uh, you, you look back at, at those times and uh, you think, man, they were really good, you know, but, but, you know, 20 years down the road, you can actually have some perspective on what their music means and what it represents. And so I think now is a great time to release this documentary with, with 20 years past you know, this would have felt weird in 97, you know, sure. uh, I think we can all recognize and appreciate the significance of, of Kurt as an artist, as a musician and as a public figure. So, 
Uh, this shed a lot of light on a lot of things, and I'm excited to talk about it with you guys. But, uh, Brian, what do you think about this? So, Nirvana is my favorite band of all time. and um, Wait, wait. That's James Lately. <laughs> yeah, it's not Creed anymore. I've changed it in the last <laughs> couple weeks. So, uh, what about FGL, bro? <laughs> second favorite. Uh, okay, got it. Yeah, I'll never abandon them. Uh, FGL for <laughs> life. Um, Nirvana is my favorite band, and, and I feel like I would never – I would not say that I'm an expert on anything except for um, – like mid nineties Dallas Mavericks basketball. Uh, but, but I'm, a, I, I've always been extremely interested in that, that genre of music and that era of music. And, uh, I think I've read every single book that is out there on Nirvana and the, the, the grunge scene and all that stuff. And, uh, I've written term papers about Nirvana. I've given speeches about Nirvana, which went over really well at my super conservative, uh, Christian college, um, Nirvana and, and Kurt in particular, I, for me, it is the, it's what has, what has saved, what has made music good for me. I think like, I just, I didn't grow up with mainstream music at all. My, my parents listened mostly to, uh, Christian contemporary type music. And so that's what I listened to for the, for longer than, than most people, uh, do, I guess I like, I didn't branch out into my own sense of music until I was probably like 13, maybe 12 or 13. And, uh, so I missed most of the, the heyday of, of Nirvana and grunge, uh, even though I'm a little bit older than you guys, but like, as soon as I discovered it, I felt like I was in that time period, even though it was five or six years later, if that makes sense, like it, it always resonated with me so much deeper than any other music I had heard to that point. And so, um, to me, they just, Nirvana is kind of the representation of like the saviors of music in a lot of ways for me. And, uh, and Kurt, um, I think Kurt was a, I think Kurt was a genius and just, but, but also somebody who just had a lot a lot of demons and a lot of issues and uh and that's well documented and this this movie goes into it obviously uh much much more much deeper i think than a lot of the other stuff that i've seen but i will say this like i like i said I've, i think i've read every book and ev- and seen every movie and every piece of media that i could uh i could take in on nirvana and kurt i think i've done that over the years and this this movie still had a bunch of stuff that I'd either never seen before or didn't know. I was really impressed that they were able to get interviews with, with Wendy and Don because they always seem not super enthused about talking about it. Um, and obviously the home video stuff was was a huge deal. So uh, I, it, it's hard to say like I love this movie because it's such a sad and depressing film in, in so many ways. And um, But I, it, it's just as far as like making a movie goes, I, there you could – there are very few flaws. There's a lot to take in here and there. And I think, uh, I think Morgan made a lot of really great choices in the way that, that he made the film, including, like you said, Kent, the, the uh, animation and the voiceovers and stuff like that. I'm not somebody who loves a lot of uh, 
production value in my documentary. I just kind of like turning the camera on and, and let it run sort of documentary documentary filmmaking. Uh, observational documentary. Observational yeah. filmmaking. Right. Thank you. Uh, I like that much more than, than any other sort of, of documentary filmmaking. But I felt like in this case it was something that, that really did add to uh, the film rather than kind of take away from it, which is what I usually get from that style. So I'm – I'm blown away by the whole thing. It's a very sobering film to watch. It's not one that I'm going to want to sit down and watch a dozen more times because it it really does open up some dark doorways and uh and that's it's tough. It was really hard on me uh with Nirvana being my favorite band with Kurt being such a huge influence on my entire life really or at least my post you know, ad- or my, my adolescent and up life has, um, it was really hard on me this time watching all this stuff, even knowing what I knew and seeing these videos of him strung out, especially with his kid, because I've got a kid and that's, so things change when you have a kid and you see things in a different light. And I, it was really hard on me to be honest, like watching some of that footage of him with Francis, when you can tell he's clearly just so strung out and, uh, so it was a very sobering experience, but it's a it's definitely I think a monumental piece of filmmaking that I would want anyone who has any interest in this this era or this subject to take to take in uh because it's man it's really really well done Richard yeah so uh I had uh an opposite very opposite experience from 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 Brian growing up with music. So I had a lot of music going on in my house. My mm-hmm. mom had, was very into Motown. Uh, the aforementioned Marine Kellyanne O'Donnell was super into Motown, which was always funny. Um, my stepdad was a folk musician and a rock and roll musician in the fifties and sixties. So we had a lot of, uh, gosh, a lot of, uh, Bob Dylan and Guy Clark and a bunch of different things going on. Uh, flying burrito brothers were big, all that. Um, and so I grew up with this this kind of uh, context of of music and a in a, a wide variety uh, of it. My one gap, I would say, because my parents were a little older and I was not introduced, would be like uh, early to mid '90s grunge. Like I just didn't. I mean, I knew Smells Like Teen Spirit, I know Nirvana, and I know uh, Soundgarden and and all those other Pearl Jam, obviously, and all those bands, but. Uh, it never really got like in my bones. I've always, always only enjoyed it purely intellectually, um, mm-hmm. just because of when I started listening to it. So, uh, but I, I would put Nirvana definitely on my, if not on my Mount Rushmore, then on a, a, a mountain very close by. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I certainly understand it. It's just nothing I grew up like in my, I, I listen to it. I don't dance to it. I don't vibe with it, so to speak. But, uh, but yeah, so so watching this was I was really just blown away early on because you I didn't know that much about it. I had seen some like tweets about it, how good it was. Um but because I'm not looking up Kurt Cobain documentaries all the time sure. or or looking into I didn't I just knew that this was coming. I didn't really know the level of access they had. I was blown away at at A the level of access, but also that there was some that much to have access to. I mean I've sure I've, I was I was partially jealous. I'm I'm gosh, twenty years younger than Kurt. I think I have like four pictures of me growing up. <laughs> this guy's got like full videos of himself, and it's like 1971, uh, which is pretty awesome. 
Yeah. Uh, it, it, his parents definitely, you can tell that they mean it when they talk. You know, everyone says like, oh, we knew we knew he was special. Right. It's like, well, I mean, everyone thinks their kid's special, but you could tell they really did because they, they like honed this camera on him from the time he was two. Uh, I mean, you have footage of him doing pretty much everything, which is really unbelievable. And and you do see, like you said, Brian, it, without going too further into the, the latter part of the latter part of the film, rather, but you do see that those demons that you speak about that he had and those those torturous kind of issues that he had started so young. Yeah. It, and it, uh man you know you want to tie it to you know maybe his father being a bit removed or even something like them putting him on medication so young and you know maybe that addled his brain chemistry or something but you know you really see that this was a, a brilliant and tormented 3 year old you know much yeah. less a, a 27 year old so really interested in that regard to see uh to see that because he had you know the face of this cherubic face and then, you know, all this other stuff going on behind it. So, yeah, but uh, but I, I thought – so that's sort of my story thoughts of it. As a documentary, I thought it was it was about as flawless as you get. I like a little pomp and circumstance in my documentary. Uh, I can certainly watch a good one that has none of that. I can, I can sit there and watch a Ken Burns thing all day. Uh, but I, if you want to vary the form up, I'm all for that. I mean we live in the age of documentary. This is probably when it's going to grow the most. And I thought they did a great job uh, really adding a lot visually and audio to this uh, to this as well. It was a great watching experience and, and, and really strong. Yeah, I want to just echo something Brian said earlier. And Nirvana was really one of the first – and we'll talk more about Kurt. I realize this is a Kurt documentary, not a Nirvana documentary. But Nirvana was really one of the first – bands that was ours you know yeah Uh, that was that was mine and and uh it took an act of god honestly to get us out of the 80s i mean it uh with with uh you know the the poisons and rats and and uh and twisted sisters of the world uh god gave us nirvana (laughs) and pearl jam and and those are you know pearl jam's obviously still around and very successful at what they do and have a huge fan base and Brian and I saw Pearl Jam last year and it was great and and I like what Pearl Jam represents but they'll be the first to admit and uh and I remember Eddie Vedder saying it, he there's a there's a documentary called Pearl Jam 20 if you haven't seen that go see it if you're not a Pearl Jam fan you will be after you see that documentary but I remember Eddie Vedder saying uh after Kurt died that uh there would be no Pearl Jam without Kurt Cobain, and uh, and and he just he single handedly took it upon himself to bring about a musical revolution, and whether that was intentional or or not is you know can be debated all day. But I mean, I, I really do think that Kurt Cobain's sole purpose in this world was <laughs> to be in Nirvana. I really do believe that, and uh, and he knew that too. Obviously, you know. Um, and 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 his childhood was was rough. You know, I, I think they did do a good job of explaining the fact that Kurt didn't grow up in the greatest uh the greatest conditions or mm-hmm. wasn't surrounded by people that necessarily would support uh his his want to do what he wants to do and uh and I can't remember who it was, but one of his relatives uh, towards the beginning of the documentary says uh it must be really hard when literally every person in your family rejects you like yeah literally his mom would drop him off at his dad's 
And then his dad would turn right around and drop him off back at his mom's. You know, like nobody wanted to be around Kurt. And and he was just such a recluse and such a loner that uh, he had to he had to express himself somehow. Nobody would listen to him. He he was just a complete and utter reject at school in every sense of the word. No one liked him. Uh, he had no friends and uh, and couldn't get a girlfriend or anything like that, uh, like you do in high school. So I mean, he really uh, bottled all that up. And uh, let it all out in the form of of music, and yeah, and uh, he says I can't remember the quote he says, but he talks about discovering punk rock for the first time, and and how he just immediately was attached to what punk rock music represented and the aggression that it let out, and yeah, and the uh, the total underground nature of it, how he felt like he finally belonged somewhere and that he had a purpose in life, and. Uh, and so it was interesting to to really get a a view of his his early days. I yeah. you always hear about that. You always hear a man. Well, you know, he only turned out like that because he had a rough childhood. Well, when you when you hear him talking about it personally, it's pretty impactful. And what was kind of amazing to me is how much Kurt recorded himself talking back in the day on just yeah. I guess cassettes. It was sort of an audio diary of sorts or something. But the fact that that's all. Uh, preserved and and that we still have that to to go back and listen to and the fact that they used it so well like like they did here and you know put Kurt's narration with the animation of him you know recounting times in high school where he was rejected or mm. counting a time you know the most impactful scene for me in the documentary and and guys feel free to to come up with your own uh most impactful moment of this but for me it was when he tells the story about when he tried to kill himself on a train track yeah. and it's just his narration of him telling the story uh, with animation and, you know, he goes to lay down on the train track and, uh, and it's one of those tracks that has two tracks kind of intersecting uh, and, you know, they sort of split off in different directions while well, he lays on one track, the train comes by and it, and it goes on the opposite track. Like he, mm-hmm. he meant to kill himself, but the train actually went on the, the other tracks and uh and so you know he obviously lived through it and and uh went on to do what he did but i just didn't realize how he had so many so many of those feelings early in his life you know so yeah. many of those like i don't want to be here anymore and uh and we do and feel free to say if this annoyed you at all but i i kind of enjoyed the the look at his diaries i mean there's a book oh, yeah. there's a book out there called I don't know, the diary of Kurt Cobain or something, which is basically just photocopies of all his writings. And, uh, and you can see just the, the torment that he went through mentally throughout his entire life is just, it's all there, you know, in black and white on paper, you know, with the drawings that he did and with the words that he wrote. And, uh, I guess he was just somebody who, you know, although he, he was very seclusive and, and really just kind of uh, bottled it all in. He really did, you know, he was, he was a genius when it came to f- forming those thoughts into art and words and poetry and, and music and, and all the above. I mean, it, it's crazy to think, you know, like some of the most accomplished artists in the world, the Salvador Dali's, the Pablo Picasso's, the, 
you know, Michelangelo's, Da Vinci's of the world are some of the most tormented souls. You know, you look back at a lot of their histories and, and past and you'd be like, wow, I can't believe they even were able to make art after surviving what they did and being in the time that they were. So I, I'm sort of under the impression that the, some of the best and most groundbreaking art and, uh, as far as uh, you know, changing the world comes from people who really came from hard times and, and got out of it. And um, yeah, I, I think good art comes from from true emotion. Does that oh, make absolutely. sense? Absolutely, absolutely. Like if he had, if he had grown up in I don't know Highland Park, Texas, in a in a million dollar mansion, and you know was was homecoming king, I don't think Nirvana would have ever been what it was. You know, it's sure. like one thing always leads to another, and uh, and that. That really was evidence here. I, I just didn't know how or why he uh-huh. became who he was, and and now I see. Oh, no wonder he he was suicidal, you know. And uh, so we can talk about this a little bit more. The fact that I, I believe he had Crohn's disease. I mean, he doesn't say yeah. it. He doesn't say it verbatim. I don't think he was ever fully diagnosed, but he just talks right. about how he was just in constant pain throughout his whole life with his stomach pain. And, you know, one of the only ways to combat that was heroin use. Mm-hmm. And that that's what spurred his addiction to heroin. So I didn't know that. I thought he was just like doing heroin, you know. Uh, so I guess that was informative. Yeah. The fact that he, I, he know, was so sick all the time. Right. This is a guy who, I mean, you, you've touched on it already, Kent. But he, this this guy was in pain pretty much his whole life. And, um. <sighs> Man, this I'm sorry guys, this is hard for me to talk about. Um I think that look, we, I don't know. We all have choices and I, hopefully no one chooses to go down a route that uh like Cobain hat did, but I think that this is a guy that went through so much and couldn't figure out how to cope probably because he didn't have anybody trying to help him cope, you know? And yeah. Um, that's such a big deal. And it's sad because like I work with kids and I see kids like this sometimes that so badly want to be loved and to be, um, to be guided, you know, just to have somebody show them like how to act because kids shouldn't have to learn how to act on their own and how to handle things. And when they don't get that, um, it just, it always manifests itself in something in, in in bad ways, whether it's just general acting out or, you know, things like this where he tried, you know, he legitimately tried to kill himself when he's 13 or 14 or, and, uh, you know, and then up to heroin and, and eventually to his suicide, like, um, all these things shaped him in a way. And I, I, he just, he was not a person who could figure out how to cope with things. And, and that's really sad because, uh, cause like I said, I think he, I think he was a genius and, um, I think that I think I've said before, I think that for Kurt music is probably what saved him and what damned him at the same time. Like, I just don't think he could handle the fame and the pressure that came with it. Um, when it, when dealing with all these other things, his, you know, from his, his body aches to his heroin addiction to his really jacked up relationship with Courtney Love and, and all these things. It's, it's, um, it's really, it's really tough. It's really sad that, uh, he could be so creative and so brilliant and yet couldn't, um, just figure out how to, 
how to cope day to day. Yeah, exactly. And you really, you know, I feel like he used Nirvana as such an escape. Oh yeah. And, and I don't know if he ever, I mean, I don't know the story of how Nirvana became, uh, you know, signed to sub pop and then became what they were. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't know if, if them becoming famous was their own doing more than it was, Sub them being in Seattle and Sub Pop being in Seattle and them being like, we're signing you, you're going to be huge. You know, there's an element of of right place, right time. I yeah. think, but uh, but I think that oversimplifies it because I don't think I don't think like we've talked. Richard has made this point. I'm not. I don't want to steal from Richard. Uh, when we talked about the Matrix, Richard said, uh, "I don't want to misquote you, Richard, but essentially." Someone was going to make that movie. Um, yeah. And, and I think that's absolutely true. I, I think the same sentiment probably exists is f- with Nirvana as far as um, rejecting of the, the hair metal culture and, and, and finding a voice for a generation of people who really truly felt voiceless that, during that time. But I don't think that it's the same thing in that like somebody was going to do this. Um, I think it had to be, maybe it's just, maybe I'm overstating it, but I think it had to be Nirvana and I'm the biggest Pearl Jam fan in the world. But, uh, like you mentioned, Kate, I think even Eddie would, would acknowledge, um, without Nirvana, Pearl Jam is just another kind of local band that sells a few records and then disappears a few years later. Like there's not going to be a cultural movement. And the same goes for Soundgarden and Alice in Chains and whoever else. Um, it took Nirvana to catalyze all of that. So in answer to kind of what you're saying, I didn't want to, sorry, I'm totally dominating the, the conversation or the, the microphone here, but um, yeah, there's a little bit of right place, right time. They're in the right, the, they're in the right scene. Uh, Sub pop was the right record label to, to get on and they were located in the same space. So that helped. Um, but it took, it took somebody who, not a a group of people, but an entire generation of people could rally behind to make that happen, and that was Kurt. And I don't think, as much yeah. as I love Eddie Vedder, that's not Eddie Vedder. And as as great as Chris Cornell can be, that's not Chris Cornell. It's it was Kurt Cobain, and that's yeah. what yeah. made and, that and Billy thing Corgan. happen. And Billy Corgan, yeah. So. Uh, sorry, I, I'm no, I'm totally dominating the the airwaves here, guys, I, and and well, we're not. No, I, that's that's actually a, a great point that I hadn't hadn't thought about. You wonder if same music, same b- band name. They're called Nirvana. Mm. They have Dave Grohl as their drummer and Chris Novoselic as their bass player. If it, you wonder if they would have been as big, if they even same music. You know I, what I, I mean? Think, like I don't like, think it's like, even like no way. how much of I, I would I would go out on a limb to say and and probably would would bet money on the fact that ninety eight percent of Nirvana's success was because of Kurt, like Absolutely. like the I, fact I, that Kurt was the personality that he was, not because of the music that I mean the music that he wrote is is fantastic, and we'll talk more. I want to talk more about Nirvana's music, but the fact what Kurt stood for, the way he acted on, the way he presented himself just to the press and to to everybody, the rebellious person that he was, what he represented in a time where, uh, like I said, sugar sugar 
pop metal was was the Ugh. biggest deal. You know, they they make fun of a lot, and I didn't realize. I thought there was more of a rivalry with Pearl Jam, but the rivalry was was uh, Nirvana and Guns and Roses. Right, and they hated each other. Man, yeah. and you look at those two bands, and you're like, God, I'm so I glad so. I, I was. I think they Nirvana definitely band. got the. I think Guns N' Roses definitely got the last laugh, though, with Chinese Democracy. <laughs> right. Their long-awaited masterpiece. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, catch you A- Axel definitely back. has more. Yeah. Axel definitely definitely has more uh, NBA jerseys than uh, Chris <laughs> Novoselic. So that's yeah. he's got that going for that's him. True, but I mean, but it's it, it, it's just crazy to think about what could have been if if Kurt had done something else you know had made one different oh. dis- i mean it's 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 you can always say that about the beatles or the stones or right. zeppelin or i mean what if jimmy page had never met robert plant we yeah. wouldn't have had zeppelin i mean it's just like i said it was an act of god that fact yeah. that this this happened the way it did and that nirvana was right. here and you know nirvana wasn't only the biggest rock band they were the biggest music act in the Period. world yeah. i mean bigger than than anything bigger than Michael Jackson at the time, you know, Michael Jackson was fading and, uh, and Whitney Houston was just up and coming. I mean, they were the biggest thing in pop music, rock music, jazz music, uh, you know, country music. They were it, uh, for a good, you know, three years in the early nineties. And everything took, took a page from the Nirvana, from the grunge playbook for the next 10 or 12 years. Crash test tummies were as big. <laughs> Spin right. doctors might have something to say about that, but mm-hmm. there's a none of our listeners know who crash test dummies are. One of the best you should YouTube or Google uh, crash test yeah. dummies SNL. One of the worst <laughs> Saturday Night Live performances yes. of all time. Yes, there. I mean, it's it's a success that hasn't been repeated since there still hasn't been a band i mean and never will be can we we talk about that because yeah look i i've been saying for a long time i i get old man syndrome and i opine for a new nirvana because music sucks right now so hard to me like mainstream music is the worst and i keep saying to myself eventually we'll get a new nirvana you know or not necessarily a nirvana but a band that has that kind of impact and after watching this documentary and kind of reminding myself of the time period and the the generation and the people i don't think we can ever have that again like i just don't think much in the same way that like tv is so segmented now that not that no one's on this there's not two people that are on the same page in what they watch uh television wise it's the same with music there's so much access to music out there that I just don't think you have an entire generation waiting to rally around something quite the same way that you did during that period. Yeah. And that I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing because it means that there's music out there that we can find if we're just going to try hard enough to get, you know, but um after this this documentary was like, okay, this I need to stop hoping for a new Nirvana because it's it's not going to happen. Yeah, the last rock star that even came close not even really a rock star, but the last person that kind of merged the insane mass appeal and the critical appeal mm-hmm. um, and and all of that and just the, the personality and just the crossover effect and probably a fitting last rock star ever is probably Eminem. Yeah. 
that's not a bad yeah that's a pretty but great like and the, and he hasn't been i mean he's still moderately relevant but he has been relevant like he was since probably 2003 like Eminem might have been the last rock star i maybe the last rock star the last rock band in my opinion and and i say this 100% biased i think oasis is the the last rock band ever uh they you know they weren't big in america i fully am able to realize that like wonderwall was their biggest song here but Everywhere but America, Oasis is like still the biggest thing ever that ever Coldplay. was. That ever will. Coldplay, Coldplay in a way, too. in yeah. a way too, but but um, not. But Coldplay represents the opposite of what Nirvana and Oasis represent. No, you're right. Like total Coldplay. anarchy, rebellion against society, sure. oh, and yeah. authority. Uh, they, you know, they, there will never be bands, and and no. they came out in the same time. You know, Oasis was ninety four, ninety five, and Nirvana was. 93 92 you know like uh like a couple of years earlier and and oasis sort of took off where or started where nirvana left off but uh you know francis cobain kurt's daughter says that her favorite band ever is oasis like they're like do you like nirvana she's like no i like o- oasis more like there's just there's a total it's total sort of different genre of music but they sort of represent the same i guess aspect of music culture and you know they're broken up now. R.I.P. I'm, <laughs> I'm saying that I'm seeing Noel Gallagher tomorrow night here in Dallas. I can't freaking wait. I love love what Oasis is and and were. But last band. I mean, you could argue Foo Fighters. You could argue. Yeah, oh no, there's big rock and roll. Yeah, yeah you could. Say, I, I use the term rock stars and, right. and rock. It doesn't necessarily have to be rock and roll. I just mean kind of omnipresent cultural yeah. and critical things. Uh, yeah. Just huge, you know, worldwide. Uh, it's there's even those Kanye come along. can't Kanye no. should be that, but it's it's not quite yeah. the same thing because he's crossed the line too many times. Yes, and because it's two steps forward, one step back, too many times with Kanye. And I think we are all, at least Richard and I, I don't know about you, can I think we all kind of think Kanye is doing a bit in a lot of ways. But oh, totally. Um, but it, it it's always. Yeah, you it's, don't it's have always the very answers. Frustrating. Yeah, you don't it's, have it's, all the answers. <laughs> it's very frustrating uh, to watch him do his yeah. thing because he does part of it. Like his albums definitely are incredible and right. and critically heralded. Yeah. And he does have I a certain mass Warhol. appeal, but it's not really mass appeal for his talent. It's like his persona and talent are two different things. Absolutely. And Nirvana had that. Oasis does have a lot of that. The attitude certainly. Um, yeah, like I said earlier, Eminem came in just like, and people forget about how big he was. Yeah. Um, and he, he definitely settled back to where he probably should have been. I'm not saying he should have been as big as he was, but that was like, you know, he won an Oscar and they like made a movie based on his life that was like nominated for stuff. And there, <laughs> there's, yeah. he won every Grammy and those albums sold. There was a lot, you know, he came in at that perfect time right before music downloading um and kind of still sold a ton of records and then was just gone at least on some front at least you know in the mainstream he kind of reverted back to being i think what he always wanted to be was sort of a a respected hip-hop artist but he had that weird crazy michael jackson nirvana crossover appeal for two years um I would say so, through through lose yourself after that. Yeah, point, I that's think kind of the capper, right? That's like bit. the apex of yeah. the Eminem thing, and then mm-hmm. uh, he made one bad album, and then it, you know, it went away. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's weird. We don't have that anymore. Like you said, Ken, it's so 
broken up now. Yeah. You know, you would think, you know, I'm trying to think of any, you know, people come up and are big. You look at something like, uh, it's funny. Like if, if Sam Smith's record last year had come out 12 years ago, people would just be going nuts ready for his second album. Cause he had those sure. three big songs, but like, no one's really going to care. Like yeah. it'll be, I mean, it'll sell records and he'll be fine. and It'll be on the radio, but I mean, no one can really just break out anymore. Um, like you once could. It's it's, yeah. it's a different time. And I think part of it too is that probably because of social media or, or internet or just access, I don't know, but you also have this, and this has always been a music thing, but it's just gotten, I think it's become so much more prevalent over the last decade or so is somebody puts out an album and if you, if, if enough people like it, 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 the groundswell keeps pushing and pushing and pushing. And then all of a sudden it's like, Oh no, this sucks. We hate this. And, right. and then yeah. everybody turns on it. And it's it, like, it's, it's like it's, one album, like ne- nevermind can come out or yes. And, and it changes the, everybody's mind. Like, well, everything we were listening to sucks. And yes. uh, yeah. now yeah. this is it, you know? Yeah. I, and it's, it's, it's crazy to say, I mean, I, this isn't a comparison at all, but, when uh, when that first Mumford and Sons album dropped, yes. like yeah. like yes. four years, five years ago, everyone was like, "Yeah, uh, why why have we been listening to Breaking Benjamin for the yeah. and Lincoln <laughs> and, and Lincoln Park for the past eight years?" Yeah, like yeah. it was like, and the, like so many so many bands came, like Avit Brothers and the Lumineers, right. and Fleet they opened Foxes. the door. And Fleet Foxes, they I mean, they opened the door yeah. for so many like. And then the like, second album dropped, and everybody was like, "This is terrible." Yeah, so, yeah. I, I mean, yeah, exactly. It's it's very difficult, I think, at this point to like it's it's almost like you can't build momentum to break through and become that transcendent superstar rock star anymore. It's it's very funny because it's the same as since this is a movie podcast. It's the same as movies. Like we're we are exiting the movie star age. Um, they're just they're not. Robert Downey Jr. is a movie star. Uh, but Tony Stark is a bigger movie star. Yeah, and 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 the property is is what is what sells. You could make a case even that the directors are bigger movie stars than the movie stars are. And that's just, that's the way that we have, uh, I don't know. We're, I don't know if it's progressing or regressing, but that's how our society is. This, these days is how they watch movies. It's not about who's the face is anymore. It's the property. Uh, it's the same with, with, uh, with rock stars. It's just, it's not, they just don't exist anymore. And so, uh, to bring that back, we probably should bring it back to the, to the movie. I, I think, that's why Cobain was so so important, and why Nirvana became such a huge thing is because he was everything you want in a rock star, other than the fact that he couldn't handle doing it. You know, that's which yeah, is and the rough side of it. And all that to say, uh, the point I was making earlier about I don't know if Kurt or Nirvana ever planned it to be what it was or what it is. Yeah, I sure. think they would have been satisfied playing in the underground of Seattle sold out for the rest of their career and been, and it would have been fine as long as they were, there was like, there was a certain crowd that enjoyed what they did. Uh, you know, evidence, the fact that in the early rehearsal tapes that we see in this documentary of Nirvana, the fact that Kurt has his microphone pointed at the wall and singing (laughs) at the wall, like he's too embarrassed to even like sing in front of his own band. Like he doesn't even want them to see him sing. And the fact that, you know, cut to, uh, you know the next scene in the documentary they're playing at Reading and Leeds Festival in the UK in front of 100,000 like yeah. like to go like to juxtapose that like it's got to be i mean i'm speaking from somebody who's had you know minor success in music 
And juxtaposing, you know, playing at a local bar and then playing for 50,000 people is quite a, you know, quite a culture shock. I mean, but imagine being a emotionally and physically disturbed Kurt Cobain in the early 90s at, you know, 24, 25 years old. Uh, it's, it had to have been quite a toll it took on him. And, and, you know, I I just didn't, I don't feel like Kurt ever thought that there was a way of escaping this. Like Nirvana became too big. He would, he could never escape what he, he had uh, built himself. He he had, he could never escape Nirvana. And, uh, and I think that scared him. And, and, you know, I am sure, you know they don't show a lot of it here, but I'm sure just everywhere he went, I mean, he couldn't go anywhere without just being hounded and, and people jumping on him and grabbing him, and mm-hmm. and I'm just sure, I'm sure it was just like the opposite of what he wanted it to be. You know, uh, sure. the people, like we said, people liked him for him and wanted to be around him for, because he's Kurt Cobain. Uh, you know, just like people wanted to be around, and this is a kind of a. Uh, eerie parallel, but people wanted to be around Chris Farley because, oh my God, you're Chris Farley. Let me buy you a drink. Let me hang sure. out with you. And less, less for the fact that they loved, uh, you know, I guess Mick Foley sketch, but more the fact, oh my God, it's Chris Farley. And, and just that attention has to just take a complete toll on, totally. on a human being. I mean, these are people too. These people that want to go to a Burger King and have a Whopper right. without, Without well, it, people just hounding on him all the time, and and he he was so emotionally disturbed he couldn't handle. Yes, it. yes, especially when you're a person who doesn't like yourself, like yeah, which is very clear, not just through this, but other you know readings and documentaries and stuff like that. Like that, Kurt wasn't happy with himself, and when you've got so many people telling you that you're great and you and they want to be around you, but you don't feel that way, it's that takes a toll. It's hard to to deal yeah. with that, and. So yes, you're totally right, Kent. He was he was totally trapped in Nirvana. I think he he felt like, and if we're being honest, I think he felt trapped with with Courtney as well. And that's something that the film didn't really touch on, and that's just kind of gleaning from other readings and stuff like that. That um, he knew he was in a very dysfunctional relationship with Courtney, but couldn't figure out how to get out of that. And that's you know, how I add all these podcast. Yeah. <laughs> You and me both, buddy. Uh, suicide <laughs> pact. Uh, but no, it's all those things I, kind of, I think kind of mounted on top of themselves in addition to a, a pretty substantial heroin addiction, which yeah, never helps anything. Crucial. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think I'll be interested to see what you guys think about this. I'm thinking about this right now. Looking at this. So this premiered at Sundance and another movie that premiered at Sundance is The End of the Tour with Jason Siegel, which is about another kind of 90s icon on a much uh, smaller scale, the, the literary scale, but uh, David Foster Wallace, who kind of in a lot of ways was the Nirvana of, of fiction in the nineties mm. and sim- very similar type people, these enormously sensitive and troubled and talented people that had this, you know, there, there's feeling depression and there's depressed. And then there's this chemical depression, right? That, right. That you're just, you're, you're, you're not added up right. And there's, there's things you can do to try to fight it, but there's you're always you know a slip away from going, and and both of them went, and I think there's a lot of parallels. It'll be interesting to see when you guys see end of the tour, you know, which is a a, a uh, not a documentary, which is a a what's the word I'm looking for? Not biopic. fictionalized, but biopic. yeah, it's a biopic type thing. Sort of. yeah. Um, it'll be it'll be interesting to see the parallels you see between those two personalities because they're these sure. sweet sweet souls. That uh, that you know it's it's it really is 
it really is uh, terribly tragic uh, on, on both fronts. But but on Kurt, you know what a, what a talent and what a, what in a lot of ways what a human being. But gosh, he was he was a lot. That's what you figure yep. out when you're watching this. Yep. And I mean that mostly as a compliment. Just a lot of everything. Just a lot of intensity, and he burned bright and uh, not for long. Uh, but in a lot of ways, just so beautifully. And, uh, and it's, it's, it's a testament that, you know, 20 something years later, we and, and our listeners and a lot of other people around the world are willing to put in two and a half hours on a documentary about him. It's, it's really tremendous. Yeah. And man, I was just, I I was just in awe watching this, just, just, uh, showing the drawings and showing the hearing Kurt talk. It's just in force, man. Kurt was a genius. He's yep. such a freaking genius, uh, you know. And I say that fully able to uh, recognize the fact that he was disturbed and he was a drug addict, and you know he had his demons. But man, this guy was just just overflowing with talent and just creative vision. And it's incredible what he did with the circumstances he was given. You know, sure. the fact that. He was addicted to heroin and had the family life he had, and he freaking did Nirvana. Like, good yep. God, you know, that's yep. that's amazing. Um, but I mean, so insightful this was, and uh, I don't want to talk about Courtney here in a minute, but <laughs> um, really interesting. Some of the drawings that they gave us, uh, specifically the ones where he was writing, like, what the band needs. We need drums. We need guitar. <laughs> you know, like yeah. making lists of like to do lists for Nirvana. And like, you know, him coming up with a band name in his journal and, and Nova Kane. <laughs> yeah. And and even sketching out the uh their Nevermind album cover in his yeah. in his uh journal. I was like, Holy crap, how much is that worth? You know, if you add that yeah. sheet of paper. Um, I uh a few years amazing. ago my uh my my wife's I guess my sister in law, they live up in uh in Seattle and so we went to visit and uh, there's a museum up there called the EMP, which is like – it's basically like a pop culture museum. And it's, a, it's the coolest museum ever. Um, there's, a, there's some – obviously, there's some things that are there all the time, but they, they usually rotate five or six exhibits. And we happened to be there when they were doing a Nirvana exhibit. And so there was just you know a huge wing of this museum dedicated to – Nirvana memorabilia and a timeline and all this really cool stuff. And, uh, and I, like I said, I've read all these books and I've seen all this, this documentaries and, and pretty much absorbed any content I could, but walking through it was almost, was, was overwhelming for me because it was just like, this is somebody that I, um, has had such a huge impact on my life and you're getting to see just what you're talking about. Kent, like his, some of his journals and another, another one tapes. was when he was coming up with the idea for the smells like teen spirit music video. And he's like, uh-huh. what we need yeah. a school gym, smoke uh-huh. janitors, cheerleaders, with <laughs> cheerleaders with anarchy symbols on them. And, right. and that was all Kurt. Like you, you would think some music video director would be like, all right guys, here's what I'm thinking. Right. Like that was all his vision. That's, and that's the was, most, maybe the most iconic rock video of all time. Like, let's be absolutely. real. Absolutely. Crazy. Yeah. And you're just kind of, yeah. And so I think this movie kind of exhibited what that, uh, what that museum tour was like, because it, it just felt like you were, you were walking in the mind of, of a genius who was also a little bit crazy and had a lot of issues, but was clearly, clearly a genius. And I think that this movie just gave you such a great taste of that kind of experience, which is 
personally is exactly what I wanted from it going in. Like I just wanted to kind of revisit that experience that I'd had in the, in the museum. And, um, it, yeah, it's, it's so cool to see all his, he's so diligent in his note taking and it's all scribbled and nuts and, uh, with weird drawings and all this stuff. But, but, uh, you can still see all this, the painstaking details that he put into all of these things and all these decisions that they made. What do we think of Courtney Love, guys, after this? Knowing what we know now. She's better than Oasis. <laughs> I'm yeah. Hole Just trying to start a fight. Yeah. yeah, Hole. I think we can all agree Hole is better than Oasis, right, Kent? Uh, so I can get you on the record for... Hold on. I, I can't hole, even Hold on. Hole. Respond. Hole. Great band or greatest band? <laughs> Not falling for this again. Great band? No, I can't you believe she's on tour with Lana Del Rey, because Lana Del Rey is great. And why Great would band she or greatest stoop band, to that man? level? I don't know. <laughs> I'm not going to answer I'll, it. I'm so gonna, you I'll can just, just keep you, asking. I'll, I'll put you down for great. Okay. It's fine. <laughs> fine. Go ahead. Uh, so yeah. are, are you under the impression, and this is controversial, I guess, but do you, and would Kurt, would Kurt's fate have been what it was if not for Courtney? Like there's an aspect of, and the way that it ends is Courtney saying, yeah, uh, I told Kurt I almost cheated on him and he took 70 pills and ended up in a coma. Yeah. And, you know, that was, the you know, a couple weeks before he, he killed himself. But, um, like, there there's an aspect of me that, that thinks, like, what how bad Kurt would have been if he hadn't been madly in love with Courtney. Like, I, I, I do feel like she brought him out of a lot of misery and pain that he had. I do think he was, they were in love and that he had found, I mean, she was disturbed. She is disturbed, but so was Kurt, you know? So I do feel like there's an aspect of like, Hey, they were meant for each other. Like, there's no denying that. Like, uh, there, you know, Courtney will never find anyone like, like Kurt. And, you know, if she, if she was able to, I guess, tame Kurt for the time being that they were together, then, then more power to her. But, uh, how do you feel about Courtney, Brian? You know, I've always really borderline hated Courtney Love. Um, I think this film portrayed her in a slightly more flattering light than has been shown in years past in various other uh, sources and and content. And uh, so I had a little more, I'm not going to say sympathy, but I, I felt a little more human emotion towards her than I have in the past. And I, I don't know the answer to, to your question, Kent, because I think, I think there was always, no matter what, whether Courtney Love ever came into the picture or not, I think there was always a high chance that Kurt was going to burn out hard. And whether that would have been like what happened with the suicide or whether he would have just uh, completely melted down at some point and and stopped making music or become a shell of himself or something like that. I think it was always, I think it was a, a better likelihood than not that something like that was going to happen because, and I think this movie kind of reinforced that because you're seeing from an early age just how much junk he was wrestling with, and that's just so difficult to do for for the long haul. Um, on the flip side. I I have to wonder if if he had ever gotten hooked up with someone who 
wasn't also a junkie and wasn't also uh, trying to kill himself and so- herself in some way or another. If you if he was somebody that maybe with the right influence and the right person could have helped him fight that and 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 find the support. You know, I'll, I'll look at um, this is a, a lesser example, but I've talked about Jason Isbell before on the podcast, who has made some of my my favorite music of the last decade or so and uh i i don't know i don't want to i don't want to blow the dates but three or four years ago he met uh met his wife and he was not living a great life and was drunk all the time and obviously it wasn't heroin but still major addictions and demons and issues and she in no uncertain terms told him either get get it straight or i'm out and got him straight and he's been sober for however many years and um you you i think i you have to wonder if if he got hooked up with the right person who gave him the right amount of support uh if if maybe he could have turned the the tide a little bit and i i i think that courtney love was the as much as they were so similar kid and and you know in some ways made for each other in a weird way um the, she was absolutely the worst possible person for him to fall in love with and 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 hook up with uh there i don't i don't have any doubt about that in my mind yeah i just wonder what it would have been if he had nobody you know like he would he have <laughs> yeah. even lasted as long as he did uh if he, if he hadn't even found some like somebody you know uh because uh I, I feel like at least courtney could talk him out of of certain things at certain i'm not defending her at all no I, I no you're courtney right I, uh, I just feel like for a certain time, Kurt was as happy as he's ever been, and you know they had a baby together, and and you know Nirvana was doing quite well for a while before Kurt relapsed and and what have you. Right. But uh, right. but it's just it, it's crazy to think what what could have been, and and I want to talk more about how how this ends uh, as we wrap this up here. Uh, they don't go into detail, of of course, about his suicide. At all, it really just uh, you know ends on a black screen, and then says Kurt Cobain committed suicide on you know this date, and and that, they leave it at that. So I didn't really expect that. I thought they were gonna. I, I, I'm assuming since this was authorized, you know, his family didn't didn't want any of that in there, or you know, you can mention it, but you know, I don't want to. I don't want half this to be about Kurt's death or Kurt killing himself. Sure. Um, I thought they were going to talk more about the impact of his suicide than than what they did, but uh, there's a documentary also called Foo Fighters Back and Forth, and it's a Foo Fighters documentary, and it really starts off where this leaves off. Mm. It starts uh, with Kurt and uh, in Nir- the end of Nirvana and, and Dave Grohl, who was interviewed for Montage of Heck, by the way, but they didn't use any of it because they didn't... Dave Grohl has become such a big deal now that... I'm assuming they would find it distracting for for Dave Grohl to be in this a lot, and I, I sort of agree with that that sentiment and uh, that mentality here. So interesting that that Dave wasn't none of the Dave Grohl stuff made it into into montage of heck. But uh, so if you want more about the impact of Nirvana and and you know what happened after he died and and how. Dave sort of took it upon himself, you know, took a break from music and, and formed Foo Fighters and check out that documentary. But I think Kurt really knew and, and saw, he was such a smart person with music that I think he really saw 
people like Janis Joplin and like Jim Morrison and like Jimi Hendrix who whose lives ended early, but the fact the 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 mythos about those people grew ever more in the past the years after their passing. Like, sure, it, you know, bringing this back to movies, uh, The Dark Knight, it, you either you either die the hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Uh, it, it's, yeah. it's sort of the same thing. Like Kurt knew that there was no escaping. It's either I make f- five more records and burn out like every rock band in history or, you know, I, I end this madness now. And, and he did what he did. And, you know, obviously the debate can always be debated on whether that helped Nirvana in the long run, you know, as far as record sales and, and merchandising and, you know, the, the, the fact that Nirvana has become such an iconic music group, a lot of it has to do with, you know, the, the tragedy that, I mean, it's sad to say, but that's, I mean, that's true. Like John Lennon has become such a mythical person and, and, you know, people that like literally worship, you know, Bob Marley and John Lennon because of like, uh, how things ended, you know, that's crazy to say, but that's just human nature about, yeah. about how we've, how we've, uh, looked back on history and, sure. and things like that. But, uh, yeah. it's, it's, it's so sad. And I just would have loved to have seen Nirvana, how they could have aged, you know, I think right. the, uh, the, one of the last things they did with the, the MTV unplugged and yes. that, that really oh, showed how versatile Nirvana was. And Ugh. and another thing I'd never heard before until this documentary was Kurt Cobain's cover of "And I Love Her" by the Beatles. So good, and, dude. And oh. and I always heard Dave Grohl say and talk about Kurt and and talk about the Beatles. Be like, you know what? The Beatles were our, our Nirvana's favorite band. Like we mm-hmm. were just obsessed with the Beatles. Like we wanted to be the Beatles. And I never made the connection with their music. I was like, well, th- their music's so vastly different. I mean, I get the simplicity. But I just didn't make the translation until you hear Kurt cover a Beatles song, and you're like, "That could have been a Nirvana song," you know? Yeah. Uh, how he like changed the guitar lick just a little, little more minor, a little more flat to sound like Nirvana, you know, in his own style. Right. And I was just that was when he was they were talking about Courtney and and that song was playing, and I was just I almost mm-hmm. teared up at that moment. I was like, yeah. it all comes full circle," and and that was just so gorgeous and simple and. Emo- like heartfelt and everything, you know, and and what a what a cool moment that was. Yeah, and I I'd never like I'd never like made that connection, like I said, until then. And I I want to download, I want to buy a vinyl of that, just that song. Mm-hmm. I mean, what a what a collector's item that would be to have. I would listen to that every day. What what a cool right cool little yeah. insight that was. I think that's part of what's so hard about all this this stuff is the beyond the fact that he left behind a child and. And and that sort of thing. To speak to your point, Kent, like there's no way that if Kurt Cobain was still alive and Nirvana was still together, there's no way that the albums that they are putting out now would be as good as Nevermind or In Utero, um, or at least there would be some bad albums in there somewhere. You know, there's no question because that's just how it goes. But I think one of the hardest things for me is that that the ender on on the MTV unplugged when they covered lead belly with, uh, yeah. Uh, where did you sleep tonight? That's my favorite Nirvana song. Like, I just think it is the most haunting and perfect vocal that, uh, that he was 
ever going to do or, or that he had done to that point. And then the one song that they recorded in the studio before he killed himself, which is, you know, you're right, which is also an incredible song. It's a lot harder, but it's still, it's so good. So you, I have this feeling of like, I think their next album is maybe the best album, you know? And, yeah, and so yeah. do you, you kind of have to feel like, Yes, there's no question that after 25 years, they would not be as good as they were then, or they would not be together anymore, or they would have put out a crappy album that would have, you know, cheapened everything else that they'd done to this point or something. But we would have gotten, I think, at least one more incredible album sure. out of it. And, uh, and that's, that's, that's tough. That's part of the frustration and the, the sadness of this whole thing. Not in any way to compare that to the loss of life and, you know, a, a daughter, a girl growing up without her father because of all this stuff. But it's just another aspect of this whole sad thing. Their bad album definitely would have been uh, like around the millennium because no one made a yes, good album for absolutely. four years between 1998 <laughs> and 2002. Yeah. yeah. Maybe arguably to like 2008. But yeah. That's another. Remember when Bon Jovi was just winning album of the year for a while? Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. You're right. Now, because yeah. I ain't going to live forever. Because that actually we, was the best album of that year. Yeah. Like, that wasn't a mistake. <laughs> there was just nothing else good. Good times. The heart is a blue to reach <laughs> up through the story. Okay, you two, please just stop. <laughs> we we realize it's all we have to play, but can you stop already? <laughs> uh, there is a there is an aspect to that. Yeah, <laughs> thanks, Bono. Uh, there's an aspect of that. I man, my favorite Nirvana songs. It's I mean, it smells like Teen Spirit's the obvious. One. Yeah, that's and, the. And that's it's the... never one that I, I mean, I like it, but it's never it's never one that like, it's not in my, my top. Like it's not the reason I started listening to Nirvana, you know? Uh, I think it is the reason that a lot of people start oh, listening sure. to Nirvana. It's the most but mainstream. It's, yes. But it's also, it's not their best. I mean, it's, it probably wouldn't be in their top, whatever, 10 or 15 songs just because they had so many other great stuff, which is amazing given that they had two and a half albums basically. Yeah. I think it, for me, it's either, uh, all apologies. I love. And, uh, and you know that's more personal than we ever thought. You know, yeah. Knowing Kurt, how, that like we know now, uh, that's great. Especially acoustic, it's great. Uh, something in the way always gets me. I love that. Uh, lithium might be my favorite of all time, though. I think I, I think Lithium is my I, favorite off of, off of uh, Nevermind. I think just that represents Nirvana in every sense of the word. You know, it, it's it's simple, it's catchy, it's uh, it's heavy. Uh, it's, you know, great melodies. I mean, I'll never get tired. I could listen to lithium on repeat for the rest of my life and be like, still think it's like the best song. It's the top five of all time for me, for sure. Uh, Richard favorite Nirvana track. Um, wow. I, I can't do, I think of them such an album band. I would, I really like in utero as weird as it is. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Um, I'm trying to think. I would probably. I'm, no, I would probably say lithium. I'm just trying to think of something different. I, I yeah, it's probably lithium. It's got to be up there. Um, but I love smells like Teen, Teen Spirit a lot. So it's I'm probably that guy that that's definitely what got me Nirvana, and that's fine with me. Sure. Yeah, Polly was big. I mean, Nirvana. I mean, never yeah, mind. Polly's good. Never mind. In a whole, as a whole, was just yeah. uh, was big. You know, for me, yeah. and, and and I can't 
say there's a bad track on that record. So no, uh, I'm I'm kind of with you, Richard. I think uh, I think Nevermind is the most important album of the last however many years you want to say, or maybe ever. But I think I think In Utero is possibly the better album. So let's grade this, guys. Uh, I'm going to grade Montage of Heck at a strong A plus. I I love this. This might be in the top ten of the year for me. Uh, I'm going to have to purchase this one when it comes out. Uh, you know, don't know how much I'll watch it, but it's just like a, as in the album collector that I am and the, sure, same uh, I've, I've already ordered the, the unplugged on vinyl and, uh, that's going to be on yep. my shelf soon. I can't, couldn't believe I didn't have, I had the CD that I, you know, mm-hmm. scratched up like crazy. I listened to that a ton. I, I love plateau, the cover they do on the, yeah. the unplugged. That's that, also that great. album is amazing. man who sold the world. Oh, the gosh. David Bowie covers yeah. is great, man. So much, so much to like with the unplugged album, but absolutely, uh, I'm gonna have to, yeah, I'm gonna have to get this on, on DVD and mm-hmm. and uh, and put it on the old shelf. But they're also releasing uh, live at Reading on on vinyl too this yeah. coming year, so I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to get that one as well. Definitely. So A plus for me, Brian. Yeah, it's an A plus for me as well, and and I don't. <laughs> it's one of those where I think because I love this. <sighs> because I love this band so much and I'm so familiar with the, the material, like it was going to take a lot for me not to like it. So I've, I'm like super biased in favor of it, I guess. So, but it, it yeah. met all my expectations and, um, and gave me some information that I didn't know before, showed me some stuff I hadn't seen and, um, and served as like a really great reminder of how freaking great that band was and how incredible Kurt was, uh, as a performer. So a, a plus for me. Richard, I will go a, have you, Brian, have you read the uh, Klosterman book, the eating the dinosaur one? I don't think that I have. I think okay. I, there's a good a essay in there about in utero. There's a really good in utero essay in there. So we'll okay. seek that out. We'll do definitely. Uh, so there we have it. Montage of heck. Great. Great stuff. This is going to be a big year for documentaries already. Uh, Richard right. saw the, the Frank Sinatra one. I haven't, I haven't gotten uh, all the way through that one yet, but might have to have a conversation about that at some point in time sure. this year. Uh, Steve Jobs, Alex Gibney documentary is coming out. Man, the Machine, excited for that one, and uh, and lots of conversations to be had about some really good documentaries. Which is which is always. I mean, I knew this is going to be a big year for movies, but some of the best documentaries we've ever seen have already yeah. come out this year. So uh, can't complain there. So good stuff. Thank you, HBO HBO Films. For, for putting this out here out there for us to see and talk about out here and uh and you know if you haven't seen this if you're still listening and you haven't seen this go out see it and uh, report back to us so let's uh give a recommend guys weekly recommends okay richard there's only one thing to recommend for the next two weeks and can't you know what that is what is it the late show ah yeah man i've been watching it every night for like the past Month. Me too. God, I'm gonna miss Dave so much. It hit me last night when he was talking to Howard Stern. Same. I'm gonna freaking miss Dave so freaking much. God. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm, I'm gonna cry on the last. Oh, 100. percent Yeah. 100. percent Already prepared. I already am starting to. I'm getting so. to the point, and I know Dave is too. He's getting to the point. Like, why am I leaving? Like, yeah, he, like, he would say like, it. He already, Seinfeld he came on. It. Seinfeld came yeah. on and was like, "What? What? What are you? What else are you gonna do?" Like yeah. honestly, what are you gonna do? He's like, and Dave was I like, I'll spend time with my family, and Jerry's like, like, let me tell you, you're gonna go home. They're not gonna be there. They moved on with their lives. 
I mean, it's like he's really. I think he'll do TV. I think he'll do something else. He always I did too, talks to Jerry about how jealous he is of comedians and cars getting coffee because he can do it whenever he wants, forever, yeah. however long he wants, and that's his thing. He has that forever. And Dave, Dave would be so great at a show like that. I hope he does something eventually. I hope he's like Larry King and he's like retires and's like, what? What did I even do? And he just does an yeah. online show. Or something like that. That'd be great. Comedians wanna... on roofs throwing hams. Dave should do a <laughs> David. Dave should do a podcast, or he should do like serious jibber jabber, or something like a long form interview yeah, series be would be great too. So yeah, late show. God, we're gonna have to have a rants and raves, David Letterman episode. Ooh, we should. Mm-hmm. Oh, Brian, have you that. been watching? As it kind of ramps down. I set the record tonight to get the last okay. couple weeks, so I haven't watched as much. I've caught some of the bits. Uh, you know, and various social medias and whatnot, but that's about it. Okay, Brian, recommend. I'm going to recommend a very fitting piece of media to go with our our subject tonight. It's a book. It's called Everybody Loves Our Town, an Oral History of Grunge. It's by Mark Yarm. Uh, it came out in 2012, and it's, it's I awesome. I remember when you were reading that. I <laughs> yeah, remember. we were around each other a lot more back yeah. then. Uh, yeah. because we were before the restraining, but yeah, before yeah, before the restraining order, yeah. <laughs> right? Uh, I warned you. Um, no, it's a. It just came out on paperback recently too. So if you're still reading actual books instead of uh, audio books or e-read or me. whatever else, yeah, if you're me or Richard, then you can get it in paperback now. It is a really cool book, and it starts in the. I think it starts around eighty-seven, eighty-eight. So you get kind of some precursor to. Sub Pop, Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, all that stuff. You get a lot of the the backstory. Gosh, on, yes. <laughs> you get a lot of backstory on all of the – not just the bands but the members of the bands themselves. There's a lot of space obviously dedicated to Nirvana uh, but also gets into, gets into Pearl Jam and uh, some of the smaller bands and the influence the, – the bands that influenced those bands, which is really cool. And uh, he got pretty much everybody to be part of the book. So there's there's uh, interviews with pick a name from that uh, that era, that time period, and uh, and he's in the book or they are in the book. So it's a, it's such it's a really cool read. It's a long read. It's four or five hundred pages, um, but it reads real quick. I think because of the 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 way it's uh, formatted in a in an oral history yeah. standpoint. Those are, uh, are fast reads. Yeah, though. yeah, they're. Great reads, and it, this one's really good. So if you're interested in this, there's a lot of books about Nirvana and about grunge and all that stuff. And uh, if you're interested in other books, I can recommend more to you. Tweet me or or uh, email us or something like that. I'd be happy to pass on some more recommends. But that's the or one. Or check that I out think. our new Facebook or Twitter yeah, page for exactly. the show. Tweet the show, and the show will tell you which uh, other books to check out. But this is kind of the one that I think kind of gives you an overview of uh, every band of that, that time period, which is really cool. And it's a, it's a good read. So check it out. Everybody loves our town and oral history of grunge by Mark Yarm. Sweet. All right. I'm going to recommend something simple guys. You need to get on it. Uh, you need to get caught up at least last man on earth. Season one has wrapped up and, uh, it's available on Fox on demand and everyone needs to watch it. And, uh, that's all I really have to say. Very funny. Uh, very funny comedy series uh, starring Will Forte, and uh, it ends on a great note for friend season of the two. show, Will Forte. friend of the show, Will Forte, I should say. And and I've seen a lot of like uh, 
I get criticism, I should say, maybe uh, negative negative feedback from from people online saying, as soon as they introduced another character, I was completely out. <laughs> like I don't understand where that mentality comes from because uh, I think the additions of the characters has really spiced things up. And I mean, how how long did you think it could go with just one person? Right. And, and still be interesting. I mean, uh, Castaway lasted for the, the big. Yeah, the biggest criticism I've seen is why is it called Last Man on Earth yeah. if he's not the Last Man on Earth? Like, get Good over one. it, guys. Get over it and watch the show. Yeah. Uh, man, it's it's so funny. Have you all caught up at all on it? Nope. Nope. I'm way behind. I missed Same. an episode. I'm gonna have to plug in the old Chromecast and catch it on demand and all that kind of stuff. So I. It, it's it's on my list. All shows are ending in the next week or two, so after that point, uh, I'll start catching up on the stuff that I've missed. Yeah, it's team. It's Mad Men all day. Yeah, yeah. In, I've been in, watching in only Mad Men lately. So yeah, you guys suck. <laughs> How boring. Well, Mad, Mad Men's been on for seven years, and you still haven't caught up. Yeah. So yeah, had- well, because it'll take me seven years to catch up. <laughs> That's why. Uh, yeah. No, I. I I can enjoy Mad Men from time to time, but there's, it's just, I'm so, it's so far gone for me right now. It's just, it'll take me, like I said, seven years to catch up. It took me a while to get Parks and Rec caught up and I only have a season left of that. So, so great though. Yeah. I'm, I'm almost there, but like I said, if y'all want to do a Mad Men podcast and just send me the audio file and I'll post it on our, on our feed and I won't listen to it. And we will. We uh, might, I think we might do that. If you're yeah. a Mad Men listener, Richard and I have some plans. We may. We were gonna try and do that after the finale at some point. Do it. Yep. I'm gonna drop LSD like Roger Sterling and try <laughs> the window and podcast. Spoilers. Yeah. Hold on. Wait. Hold on. That's every podcast. <laughs> so Brian, where can I find you online? You can find me on the Twitter at bgill 12 You can find my writing occasionally at madaboutmoviespodcast.com. You can find my other Twitter pre- uh, presence at M-A-M underscore podcast uh, on the Twitter as well. You can find me everywhere, Kent. I am always available to take King listeners of all media. questions. Yes. That's right. His phone number is yeah. 817. Yeah. <laughs> it's too uh, much. Too much information. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I would love to interact with all listeners, and, uh, and I'm available all of the time. Richard, where can we find you? You can find me on the Twitter at Richard Barden. You can find my writing at richardbarden.com. And you can check out our show's Facebook page at Man About Movies Podcast there on the Facebook. Kent, where can I find you? Find me on Twitter at Kent Garrison. I will also occasionally be tweeting from MAM underscore podcast. So look forward to humorous comments. I, I refuse. My Twitter is, <laughs> is copywritten to. Uh, yeah. To mine, yeah. Well, all of your tweets have to go through a publicist anyway. To yeah, get, exactly. Sure, well, I call them. Make sure you don't offend King. the masses. Yeah, yeah. 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 I went you don't want to upset Chris my flip phone. Again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, he blocked me. <laughs> <laughs> I have a friend that Goals. is blocked on Facebook by Steve Blake, the <laughs> point guard for the Portland Trailblazers. <laughs> goals, squad goals. Uh, on that note. Uh, you can find all of our episodes on our website at madaboutmoviespodcast.com. Yes, I said all of our episodes because only the most recent 100 episodes show up on iTunes. So if you want anything, if you want anything older than that, you're going to have to go on the website, search for it, scroll all the way back through our archives and, and find that good stuff. I noticed a lot of people have been emailing us regarding episodes that aren't on iTunes. So that's good. Yeah. People are finding it upon themselves, it taking it upon themselves to do that. 
uh, we, we, uh, those will always be free and, uh, in, you know, unlimited downloads, download everything, keep them on your computer and you can go back and listen to those too as well. You don't always have to go to the site to download them, even though if you want to, that's great because it makes our stats look awesome. <laughs> yeah, keep doing that. For and uh, so next week, we are talking Mad Max Fury Road, I believe. Yeah. And uh, But Pitch Perfect 2 also is coming out. I don't know if we can squeeze two episodes out next week. Might have to do that because Pitch Perfect mm-hmm. is going to probably own the box office. And we're already getting requests in the email for a Pitch Perfect episode. So might we'll have to do that. We'll do a two-parter, yeah. Might have to uh, do... No movie news, just two reviews next week. So depending on if anything breaks, we'll uh, we'll see. But Mad Max, I've seen comments today, and uh, it's, it's hard press. to believe. Somebody said it's literally the best action movie of all time. Like oh, I've, I've never I've, seen I've, a Fast and Furious movie. I have seen that comment from noted movie critics, and uh, hard for me to justify that comment at this point in time. <laughs> they said it's the what best movie. The best action movie of all time. Wow. Like, like blatantly said that. So uh, that's what we're going up against. And count on us to pull them down a peg and, and just destroy <laughs> this movie. No, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Hopefully it's awesome. I love a good action movie. So we'll talk to you next week. And uh, we'll see you at the cinema. Goodbye. Oh, yeah. Goodbye. Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling. Toss salads and scrambled eggs. And maybe I seem a bit confused Yeah, maybe, but I got you pegged <laughs> But I don't know what to do With those tossed salads and scrambled eggs They're calling again Scrambled eggs all over my face They're making me ya ya salads and scrambled eggs They're calling again